0: But I want to greet you again in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And now we're going to read God's word. I'm preaching from Genesis chapter 9, verse 18 through 29. And there's a story there. I did like, thank you, my brother. I did like uh, to begin by reading a portion from the Old Testament scriptures from the book of Genesis, from chapter 9, beginning at verse 18. The word of God reads, Now the sons of Noah, uh, who went out of the ark, were shamed. Would you mind, Brother Brown, would you mind to put this scripture up there? Uh, Genesis chapter 9, from verse 18 to 29. So that we can all see the contents together of this story. Chapter 9, verse 18 through 29. All right, so now we got only one version, and that's the version. Which is right there, chapter nine, verse eighteen through twenty-nine. All right, let's go verse eighteen, and and the sons of Noah, uh, and the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. Uh, these are the three sons of Noah and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be uh, a husband man, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered uh, within his tent. And him, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shame and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. I'll stop right there, right there, I'll stop right there. And so, Noah woke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. And then he said, Cursed be Canaan, uh, a servant of servants, he shall be to his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of shame, and may Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth, and may he dwell in the tents of shame, and may Canaan be his servant. Thank you. And Noah lived uh, after the flood 350 years, and so all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he, he died. Can we pray for a moment? Again, our Father, our God, we have been blessed to hear from your uh, Holy Word. Now we ask that the same Spirit uh, who inspired this Word originally may be present uh, to reveal its contents to us for our instruction and edification in our training in righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a story in the Bible. I learned of this story during the Sabbath school class some few weeks ago. And I became very interested to get to the bottom of this very story. And now Noah, of course, is the one who is described as having found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In the Old Testament, He and his family alone escaped the universal deluge that destroyed the earth as an act of divine judgment. He is one of the few characters in the Old Testament history. Uh, He is described as being righteous. But in the passage that I just read for you, we don't get so much a glimpse of Noah's righteousness but more of his unrighteousness. And so we are told that after the I will stick to this mic here. I think that will be, be much better. Righteous... But we don't see his uh, righteousness from the story we just read. We are told that that after the flood, the waters receded, and he and family left the ark and erected an altar to the glory of God, and that he undertook a new vocation. He had uh, spent many long months, uh, perhaps as a carpenter, uh, constructing the ark and was the greatest shipbuilder, perhaps in all history. But now he turned his skills to another vocation, that of farming and particularly as a viner. He was a wine grower and he grew his grapes not for raisins, not for Welsh uh, grape juice, the one we use when we drink communion over here, but for the production of wine. Because he fell into the problem of overindulgence of his own produce. And as a result, he became drunk, uh, dropped down, knocked out drunk. And so he takes to his bed uh, in his tent, and in his drunkenness, he is paying no attention to his clothing, to all the covers were supposed to conceal his naked body from anybody per view. And there in his stupor, he lay naked and unconscious. And now of his three sons walks in, in the tent and sees his father uh, compromising condition and apparently was somewhat amused by it. He goes out and he calls his two brothers and he said, you can't believe the old man, Uh, I I mean he's laying in bed, uh, in there drunk as a skunk and naked as a jaybird. This was hardly uh, a giving honor of his father. And the other two brothers, Shame and Japath, were not amused. We're not amused. You know, as you read this story, you see why other people are stuck uh, into uh, things like pornography. Do you see that? Your son finds you naked. You are in your bedroom. Uh, Noah wasn't on the streets. He was in his private tent. And he comes in there, he sees his father's nakedness, and he rushes to tell his brothers, Oh, the old man is drunk as a skunk and naked as a jaybird. Instead, the two brothers had a sense of compassion for their father in his embarrassing and shameful condition. And were devoted to the purpose of covering their father's shame. Now, you and I, how many times have we seen people uh, who look uh, so bad and we look at them and just walk away. It's somebody else's business. We have nothing to do with them. These two brothers felt compassion and they had to devise a plan. And so here, Together, the two brothers who are shame and Japathth uh, together they took a blanket and they spread the blanket between their shoulders and walked into their father's tent backwards. They are working backwards and they were walking backwards. they were pulling this blanket over the body of their father while all keeping their herd turned away that they cannot cast their eyes. On their father's nakedness." Now we do know that in the Old Testament, Levitical law, the looking upon one's parents nakedness was a euphemism. It's kind of uh, incest. But I don't think this, this is what was going on on this episode. I think the text uh, is as plain as it sounds and that the description that you have heard is what happened. The problem here was uh, not some kind of uh, incestual homosexual relationship that Ham was trying to carry on, but it was simply his mockery of his father in in his condition of nakedness. And to get a glimpse of the subject at hand uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse uh, 25 seems uh, seems very uh, concluding. However, it says here uh, it simply reads, and they were both naked that is the man and the wife and were not ashamed. But here we saw him, uh, him. he saw his father's nakedness and he thinks that uh, it's something that we can laugh about. And probably uh, we know the Bible went on to curse uh, him and all his descendants. Probably today those descendants are the people uh, who perpetuate uh, and commercialize uh, nudity. And so here we see the Bible uh, is very strong that the further uh, he had to punish him by cursing all his descendants. And so we read that statement in our original status in the Garden of Eden. When men and women were created for each other, we were told that they were naked and ashamed about it. But not so, humans, humans, human beings in every society, uh, in every nature, even those that run around almost totally naked in primitive places, still wear uh, cord pieces and the like, because it is basically common to human beings to wear clothing. Of course, human beings have a certain fascination with nakedness. As the pornography uh, business indicates, and the screen venues and galley magazines and all the rest, and the advertisement business in America uses some forms of nakedness to sell just about every product that they can be commercially uh, distributed. Nevertheless, in spite of this preoccupation with nudity, I have noticed the audience today that everyone who is here today is to some degree club. I haven't seen anybody walk around yet naked, as a jaybird here, we are all still wearing clothes. We had a fascination a decade or so ago for those who indulge uh, in the practice of what is called a streaking, where all of a sudden, in the middle of a football game, somebody will run out onto the field bare naked, And while the police were chasing them across the arena, but notice that Even then, it was called streaking, not strolling. Because we have a certain antipathy about being found publicly and clothed naked and nude. Now, where does that all come from? Because in creation, we have just read from the book of Genesis that when we were created, just like the other 192 primates, primates, which are not to be included, okay? Nevertheless, we were made naked and unashamed, but something drastic happened to change all of that and to explain the phenomenon that I've just mentioned of the universal desire of human beings to undergo normal circumstances in public situations to be closed. I think it's a wonderful thing that we have that. But chapter 3 begins of Genesis begins with the ominous words that are somewhat somewhat foreboding. Now the serpent was more the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had murdered. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil." And that was, ladies and gentlemen, the primordial temptation, the dietification of human beings, the quest for autonomy. You'll be just like God. You are not going to die. This is an unjust prohibition placed upon you by your Creator. He doesn't want you uh, he doesn't want to share his deity with you. He knows that if you eat this, you will be just like him. Who's talking here? It is the devil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of the fruit and she ate. She also gave to who? to, who? to her husband, with her, and he ate. And what happened with the first bite? What happened to the first bite? Did they die? No, they did not die. With the first bite, with the first act of disobedience, with the first recorded sin in human history, the immediate consequence was this. Listen carefully. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. So from here things takes a twist and they sewed fig leaves together and make themselves what? Coverings. Now the first experience of sin was an awareness, was an awareness of shame, an awareness of guilty, provoking within the heart of the sinner a profound desire to hide. Since that day humans are running away from God, from that day. And dear friends, from that moment to this day, human beings have been fugitives from the presence of God, seeking desperately to find a way to hide. We are cosmic fugitives, searching out the places of darkness, Where we cannot be seen, where we cannot be known. This is why John tells us that the reason why God's judgment is upon the human race is because we love the darkness rather than light. Because our deeds are evil and what salvation involves is being brought out of the darkness into the light where we can experience, once again, the sense of being naked without being ashamed. Naked and unashamed. We have lost something extremely human and extremely important. And do do not be deceived by the, the godless culture around us that promotes nudity. But again, again and again, the initial condition of being naked and ashamed, was immediately lost with sin. And so when they knew that they were naked, uh, here's where the garment industry began. The garment industry began right here. They sewed fig leaves together so that the first tools, the first tools that we found out in Scripture were needles to make clothes. This is what you see. And so they sought fig leaf together and made themselves, now notice it doesn't say clothes, it says coverings. There were only coverings, they were making these clothes because they were not cold, they were not making these clothes because there were mosquitoes in the garden of Eden, they were making these clothes to cover their nakedness. They were making clothes not for adorning, but for concealment. And then they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now listen. Every time they heard that sound before, think of it. There is Adam and Eve there in the garden paradise of Eden, the lush, the lush, beautiful place where no sin. Had invaded, nor evil had been made manifest. And in the cool of the day, they would hear footsteps and they would say, The Lord is coming. And they were excited. This could not wait, they could not wait to commune with God as they had done in the past. And you could see their faces immediately changed to pure radiance and anticipation of the visit into their domain of the Lord God Almighty. But on this occasion, when they heard the footsteps of God, when they heard the presence of the Lord in the midst of the garden, instead of being filled with joy, they were filled with object terror. And the only thing they wanted to do was to get out there to get away from there as fast as they possibly could. And so Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. This is our original retreat from the presence of God. And that retreat mechanism has passed from Adam to his sons and daughters and all generations that we are born in original sin. We are born with this desperate need to flee from the immediate uh, immediate presence of God. Nothing more terrifying to a sinful human being than the the immediate presence of God. That's why we hate to talk about His holiness, because uh, nothing exposes our nakedness more, nothing drives us more towards uh, concealment, than the presence of a holy God. That's nothing new. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They hid themselves among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? What a question. Was God really serious when he was asking them, where are you? Are we trying to say here, God didn't know where they were? What are we saying here? Okay, let's say maybe God didn't know where they were, however, God knew where they were hiding because he knew the tree where they were hiding. So, ladies and gentlemen, the first mission impossible attempted by human beings was the attempt to hide from Almighty God. What a fool's errand that is. We simply cannot do it. Have we tried? Uh, Have you tried on your own? Yes, I think we have tried. David said, look, where can I flee from your spirit? If I ascend into heaven, if I make my bed in show, behold, thou art there. And before a word is formed on my lips, you know it all together you just can't escape him wherever you are, wherever you're hiding. He knows. He knows your hiding place. That reminds me of a friend of mine who was a soldier in Iraq. And after Saddam Hussein had fled from one of his many policies, went into a hiding, my friend and a group of his troops were marching on the outskirts of Baghdad, and they were walking down the road, and off to the side, one of them noticed something strange in the ground. And they went over to investigate, and here they saw something. And in this spider hole, cowering in fear and filled, was Saddam Hussein, My friend was involved in the capture of that man. And of course, the rest is history. You can't hide. There's no place to hide. There's no place to go. The darkness is not dark enough to conceal me from the gaze of God. All I'm trying to tell you, friend, is you just need to come to him. You can't run away from him. As much as you can try, our forefathers, our ancestors have done it. And so God says, where are you? And Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. What? You were afraid? Afraid of my creator? I was afraid of the one who gave me this garden? I was afraid of the one who created my wife? I was afraid of the one who gave my who gave me my soul I, I, I was afraid of the one who breathed the life into my nostrils the one who's given me nothing but goodness all of a sudden now I am afraid to come to him do you see where this is going do you see where this is going I was afraid when I heard your voice because I was naked Friends, maybe your finance, your financial situation may make you feel like you're naked. Maybe your mental health condition may make you feel like naked. Maybe your job situation may make you feel like naked. Maybe your whole life situation, your children, whatever in your life, or loss of parents may make you feel like you're naked but we have a God who's looking to cover us. And that's the message this morning. Don't look at this nakedness as just uh, one way. There are situations that expose you. And Jesus is saying, I'm here for you. Don't run away. And what did God do when they tried to run away? God engaged. And what did they say? Their husband says here, well, you know what happened? The man said, the woman that you gave me, she gave me of the tree, and what did I do? I ate. And so God says to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and so I ate. And then what comes? This is the curse of God, the curse on the serpent, the curse on the woman. The curse on the man, the curse on the learned. One of the phrases of the Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, uh, has a refrain that says, far as the curse is found. How far that God's curse in this instance exceeds to the whole world. That's why Paul tells us that the whole generation groans together, waiting for the redemption of the sons of men. Because we live in a universe that is under the curse because of this violation of the law of God. And then it ends like this, and Adam uh, called his wife, name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. Now you wanna hear the Gospel? You want to hear the gospel? This is the gospel right here. Why? Because you see, God made that seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent while bruising his heel in the process. Thus, the first promise of the gospel. But the first action of the gospel, the first redemptive act in all of human history takes place right here. In verse 21, and also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Did you see? Because they were not smart enough, now they put leaves together to cover their nakedness. But they, you know, they lived in the garden and they have never seen leaves fallen or dry leaves. They didn't know. And so God realized they don't know what they are doing. So uh, these leaves are going to wither, and they're going to be dry. So these leaves are so temporary, and what did God do? He had to kill an animal to cover their nakedness. Now you think about this story, and you say, oh, that's just Adam and Eve. But I'm saying this is what God has done for us right here. God has given us everything. We are prone to wander, we are prone to run away from the God that loves. And so here you see God here he goes and he did something, what an act of mercy when the Lord God stooped over and said, "Adam, let me have that needle, this clothes that you have hastily put together from fig leaves." Don't you realize these leaves will wither and die and fall away? They are really inadequate articles of clothing. Let me do it for you. And God killed an animal to cover their nakedness. Friends, I have nothing new to tell you. I'm just here to tell you that we are here today. This is the story that you can try to run away from or we may preach good stories and we laugh but this is the main story here because God looks at their stupidity and then he says you are trying to cover yourself in leaves and now he had to make them tunics of skins. The author of the Hebrews in the New Testament that he tells us that the blood of the bulls and goats. Cannot take away our sin. These were figures pointing beyond the bulls, pointing beyond the goats, pointing beyond the lamp to the lamp without blemish. Who will come who alone had the kind of blood that will really cover our sins. The atonement of Christ is dramatized in this act in the tabernacle and later in the temple where the blood of Christ is shed as a cover. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that blood lose all their guilty stains. And I'm here to tell you that whatever the animal skins, outside the garden of Eden among the trees so that human beings from Adam on would look forward to that to the day where their nakedness will be covered not in part but in whole so that at least under the gaze of God once again we can be naked and unashamed and here friends as I close human beings are different from animals Why? Because if you go to a zoo, you are able to look at monkeys uh, as long as you want. You can stare at the monkeys, and the monkeys are not embarrassed. But if we stare at each other here, just for a minute, if I take a minute and just look in your face, you may call police for me. We don't do so well by just being stared at. But I need you to know, friends, that every day my brother and sister We are under the benevolent gaze of God. That is to say, God watches over us. So as much as we may try to run away, uh, as much as we may try to give ourselves excuses, God is always uh, uh, trying to reach out to us. And what do we do? We do the mission impossible. We try to run away from God. David said, after he was exposed in his sin and in his nakedness, and he once, uh, once he received the mess of God, he said to God, O oh God, search me and know me. See if there, there be any wicked way within me. Purge me in the secret places of my soul. So that's the cry of a saint. That's the cry of a saint who's been closed by the mercy of, and the grace of God. Now, I want to close here by telling you another story which is different. We talked about the uh, the Noah as he was naked. But then in the book of Zechariah, we have another story uh, on chapter 3, reading from verse 1. And there you see uh, there's a story there of a priest uh, who is dressed in dirty clothes. The priest with dirty clothes comes from the book of Zachariah, from the third chapter, uh, where we read this account. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. So he sees this vision of the high priest, and the priest is standing in the presence of the messenger of God, and the angel of the Lord. But there's somebody else there, and it's Satan. And Satan is standing there to oppose this priest. Now, what's the purpose of his opposition? What is that provokes this uh, antagonism from the preprints of lies? And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plugged from the fire. It may be difficult for you, but here's how it's translated. If you ever have a marshmallow, marshmallow roast, when you were a kid, maybe you go out and sleep overnight in your turns, and you make a little fire, and then you bring the marshmallows and the hot dogs, and you you cook them up over the fire, and then it's time to uh, put the stick in the uh, marshmallow, and you put it in the fire, and you take the marshmallow off, and then sometimes your hands gets uh, on the end of that stick, uh, and you pull your hand off, and it's it's burning, and you got charcoal, you got that black soot on your uh, on your hands. But not only is it hurting, you are all you got ashes over here, you got black charcoal, and and, and you you. You just taking a brand out of the fire. That's what uh, that's the nearest way or the best way I can do to explain to you. And God says to Satan about this priest he said, do you know who this priest is? He is a brand that's been pulled out of the fire. I have rescued this man from the burning. Of course he's covered with soot. What would you expect after having been in the fire. And we read, and Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. He was clothed. He wasn't naked. He was clothed. But his clothes were filthy. Is that a metaphor found elsewhere in scripture? All our righteousness is like what? Like filthy rugs in the sight of God. He is standing there in these filthy garments before the angel. And God answered and spoke to those who stood before him and said, take away the filthy garments from him. And then he said to Joshua, I have removed your iniquity from you and I'll clothe you with uh, with the rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head and they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him and the angel of the Lord stood by. Do you know that if you are a Christian, this is what God has done for every one of us? That he looked at us, looked at our nakedness, looked at our coverings, looked at our clothes, and saw filthy rugs, rugs inappropriate to be worn in his presence. That's something else I have to say It drives me crazy, in this 21st century, how people dress when they go to church. They would never go to White House dressed like that. But they'll go into the presence of the living God in the slopest clothes they can find. And they are ready to fight for that. Hey, if a poor guy doesn't have a shirt, that's fine. He is welcome uh, for church. But you are not poor. You don't come into the presence of God like a slob. Get dressed up, right? Or or maybe dress down, but for heaven's sakes, get dressed when you come to church and into the presence of God. What's wrong with us today? We have no sense of who we are worshiping. We have no sense of the presence of God, and yet he is the very one who clothed us in the garments of the prince. The finest garments that is finer than linen, finer than gold, the garments of the righteousness of Christ. My friends, I have nothing to give to you. It's a tough subject. Nobody wants to hear gospel or preaching like this. But then Isaiah 61 says in the Old Testament record, an uh, uh, Old Testament record of the mission set for the Messiah that is to come. And Jesus goes to the synagogue, and they ask him as the visiting rabbi to read the text for the day and comment on it. And he reads the text from Isaiah 61. As I close, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the uh, brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beautiful ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise, for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And after that text was read, Jesus gave the shortest uh, homily ever on record, where he sat down to speak, and he said, Today, this text is fulfilled in your midst. To God be the glory. Happy Sabbath. So as you go through the day, uh, you need to look into your life situation and just be honest with yourself that you can run, but you can't hide. God's presence is always around us, and he is ready to welcome us as we come back to him. Let's close our heads as we pray. Father, you've been so good to us. And through the scriptures, we read stories that surprise us. And it always starts in the families. And so we learned how you you welcome us, uh, and you punish, and then you reach out to us. And we also learned that we can never run away from your presence. Uh, You've been good to us. Bless us as we worship throughout the day, for we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.